welcome to the Deeply Rooted Podcast. We are here to root deep in God's Word so that we can live lives of unshakable faith. My name is Ben Jacobson. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Lutheran Church in Fargo, North Dakota. And I want to welcome my guest today, Pastor Paul Ninus. Pastor Paul, Paul, it's good to have you on. How's it going? It's going awesome, Ben. (laughs) Is it good? I'm a little sore, though. I was walking all weekend. Oh, yeah? (laughs) What were you doing? I was chasing the great technicolored ditch chicken called the pheasant. You may have been helping me a little bit. I might have been with you. (laughs) Yeah. We should have recorded this while we were doing that. We yeah, should have. I'm a little sore out in the field. I think you walked more than I did, but I'm still sore. So that's amazing. Um, yeah, good to have you. So we have been going through the story of Scripture. We've covered lots of different pieces. We covered uh, the book of Ruth a couple weeks ago, and then we rec- we covered part of Samuel, the prophet Samuel, and and talked about how. Ruth and Samuel are really this bridge between this time of judges and a time of kings in Israel where Israel becomes a nation and and God's promises start to flourish for them in in ways that they had been waiting for in terms of they have a land, a place to call home, that the boundaries of that are expanding and, and to the what God had promised that it would be. Um, but also we're going to find that kings and nations are not the same as God. Amen. Uh, and and so the, the kings that, that they put their hope and trust in did not exactly turn out to be what they expected. And maybe they should have expected that they were just human like us. Because David, we're going to talk about King David today, and David was an amazing person, enough so that we're still talking about him. That's right. Uh, but he was not... He had, his, he had his flaws. He had his flaws. Absolutely. So one of the things we're going to talk about, we're going to see today, is sort of the danger of the holiness of the Ark of the Covenant. And this is not a one-for-one one, uh, uh, comparison, but Paul, what is a, a, uh, what's something that you've either driven in or ridden in that was dangerous or gave you some fear? Yeah. One time we had a men's snowmobiling retreat. And I don't own a snowmobile, but I borrowed one from a guy that had some nice sleds. Mm-hmm. Little speed. Oh, and this thing was souped up. I don't know what the world was done to it, but it had a fully studied tract and modifications, all this type of thing. And let's just say when you hit the throttle, the skis didn't touch the the oh ground until you hit at least 70 miles per hour. Oh my. It was wicked to go zero to 60 in such a short time span, I'm sure around two and a half seconds, to be able to stop, turn, and that thing easily could get way, way too fast. I won't tell you how fast I got it. But there's just a sense when you're doing this, like, oh man, this is fun, but this is also dangerous. Yeah. Because things could fall apart or you know you could hit something you're not supposed to hit or run into an obstacle lose control and you're just kind of holding on for dear life on this snowmobile Hmm. that's why they are dangerous yeah so there's an exhilaration with that a thrill yeah but there's also like this is why 
my dad wouldn't buy me a new sled when I was 16 years old. Right. It's also, it's like this realization, probably not in the moment, but it's a realization that this is bigger than I can handle or control. And that's where I think the comparison to the holiness of God, although a snowmobile is so much smaller. Right. right. But that, that feeling amplified to infinity of God is beyond what I can handle with my brain, with my heart. He's more than I can even fathom. Yeah. God is, God is holy. So if God is creator of, of the universe and God is creator of time, space, and matter and beyond and completely other, to try to think about what it means to stand in the presence of that holiness, what it means that who we are in light of that holiness should absolutely make our heart pound and take our breath away. Yeah. and Because and, God is holy. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today when we talk about the, the presence of the holiness of the Ark of the Covenant and, and that the presence of the Ark in, in Jerusalem. But before we get to that, so we're going to read from Second Samuel. Last week we read from First Samuel. We're going to read from Second Samuel, the fifth and sixth chapter, and we're going to hear a little bit about King David and when David becomes king. And we'll go back and talk about his story and how we got to this point. We're going to read Second uh, Samuel 5, verses 1 through 5, and then we'll read chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. And so I'll read that for us today. I'm reading from the NIV. It's great if you're following along with whatever translation. Um, and I'm going to ask Paul that both of, I, both of us, as, as I read, we think about, so what are the words that jump out to us on the page? What are questions that come up in our minds as, as we read? And folks who are listening out there, I'd invite you to do the same thing because those words that we notice are important and the questions that come up as we read are important too. And we won't always have the answers, but we can always spend time talking about that. It helps us to understand what God's saying to us through these words. So we begin with chapter 5. This is from Second Samuel. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. And we'll skip forward now to chapter 6. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Baal in Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the Ark. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on a hill, Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. 
David and all Israel were celebrating with their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Here ends the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. So probably a couple stories there when we think of David's story, these probably wouldn't be the first places we would go. Um, So where David's story is told in several places, but uh, what what is that story, Paul? So we start, David is a shepherd, right? He's a little boy, young man. So, So David... Is a shepherd. He's the becomes the second king of Israel. Remember, God's people pleaded for a king. They wanted a king like the other nations around them. They thought that was the right order of things. And, and God said, "No, I'm your king. You don't need a king." But he loves his people, so he he gave his people what they what they desired. And and so Saul is king, and uh, they're having they're in this battle against the Philistines, and there's this giant named Goliath. And uh, they're looking for a champion. And so David's a shepherd, and he's not even on the battlefront. He's that unimportant. He's not, he's not an eldest son. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nobody's going to stand up against him until David comes to camp. And David says, I'll go fight the guy. Mm-hmm. And he takes down Goliath with a sling and a stone. Right? He slays the giant. In which we know shepherds had these slings they still do in, in the Middle East to this day where they could take a flat rock and release it at just astonishing speeds. And from this place, David gains immense popularity. Mm-hmm. And there's a conflict between Saul and David, but David ends up being anointed king as, at a young age, at 30 years of age. And uh, he becomes the next king over Israel. And it's under David. We saw this, just a glimpse of this, um, under David that Ju- Israel and Judah are united. Right. So first he's king in in Judah for... I was trying to do the math as we <laughs> looked through that. Uh, yeah, Saul, Saul, David, and Solomon serve a united kingdom. They, they bring in extra territories, and then after those three kings, after Solomon... That's when that real division between Judah, uh, the northern and southern kingdom, begins in Israel. Yeah, I was just looking at chapter 5, verse 4. It talks about how David was 30 years old when he became king. He reigned for 40 years. Uh, Seven of those was in Judah alone, and then he reigned in Jerusalem 
over all of Israel and Judah for 33 years. So sure. some amazing things happened when David was king. He was a prosperous king. Yeah, it was many victories. He, what we read, he brought back the Ark. The Ark of the Covenant was uh, the vessel in which the Ten Commandments, those stone tablets and other holy objects were stored that came from the tabernacle. Again, the tabernacle was that tent of dwelling that God had given his people when they were in the wilderness wandering, mm -hmm. waiting to enter into the Holy Land, the place where God could meet them and they could go and encounter the divine and atone for their sins. And then the reflection of the future temple that was to be built, not by David, but by Solomon, his son, later on. And, and this, the Ark of the Covenant, is this place where the presence of God dwells. So people are... Right. This is where we know that God is... The Holy of Holies, the presence of God dwells among us. So that may seem like, you know, you, uh, you read this and you think, oh, the guy just touched the ark mm -hmm. and he dies? Like, what's that about? Mm -hmm. That seems silly in our, our modern mindsets to think about. But for the nation of, of, of Israel, for, uh, for their understanding of who God was, God, again, is, is holy. God is completely other. God is all-powerful, all-mighty. And, and to see God would kill you. And so the Ark of the Covenant was from uh, the, this place in the tabernacle, which was called the Holy of Holies. It was that center tent that only Levitical priests who had meet the right qualifications and had purified themselves properly with their correct sacrifices over a period of time could go and even see and encounter and it's been stolen, and now he brings it back. But what's happening in this scene is God is establishing that, you know, I'm still holy, and, and the Ark of the Covenant, which represents where I dwell, is still holy in this world. I'm still in control. I'm so, still in power. So what do you think we are supposed to do with that? For us readers who look at that and say, that's kind of a foreign concept or that seems really strange like you said what's going on here what why why is that important for us to to understand that god is holy in a way that we can't even fully grasp yeah i think there's some tensions that we can we hold on to mm -hmm. in the mystery of god mm -hmm. and one of those is that god is holy but also god is love mm -hmm. god is grace but God is truth. And one doesn't diminish the other. Mm -hmm. And in Jesus, holiness and love came down, right? So God, mm -hmm. ultimately we know that this is not the complete story, right? Mm -hmm. That God comes down and holiness is contained in a helpless babe, completely accessible to humankind. Mm -hmm. In a way that we totally know. Right, innocent, um, if feeling what we feel, experiencing what we experience. And so, but God is still, still holy. So there, so there's this tension where the holiness God is means that yes, God is pure and God, if God is just, and we want this universe to be just, mm -hmm. uh, that means we, we want a world that, that, that has a God that is just, that says there is a right and a wrong mm -hmm. and that wrongs shall be righted. Mm -hmm. That, if someone lives an evil life and, and, and truly does 
you know, what is evil and, and wrong in this world, Hitler, you know, people, we, we, a world that we would say, ah, oh, that's no big deal. And, and just, you know, everything's okay. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's not a God that's worthy of worship, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a God that is perfect, created the universe and he is holy. So he is pure. He is righteous. And, and because we are not, because we're tainted by sin to stand in that presence would, would destroy us. But the holiness becomes accessible in, in love, right? In this real direct relationship with us uh, through our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, so an appreciation of the holy is an appreciation of who God is. And I don't think you can understand what it means that Jesus died on a cross to put you in a right relationship with God if you don't have a sense of the holiness of God. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because we understand that that was a, a gap that needed to br- be bridged, a, a relationship that needed to be restored, right? For us to, to, for us at the end of our lives to stand before a, a holy God, there needed to be a mediator. Mm-hmm. Something in between us and that holiness. Right. Or another word would be a covering. Mm-hmm. That Jesus takes our place, that he becomes the covering for our sin mm-hmm. so that his holiness, his righteousness makes us righteous. Not anything we do, mm-hmm. but what, what he does. Mm-hmm. So in this situation, the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, is representing that, that holy God in this world that they're called to, to follow, and they're called to be holy as he is holy. I think that you know, two words come to my mind as I think of the holiness of God, and maybe this is a simplification, but we should fear and we should revere. Mm-hmm. We should fear, not fear in like a well, Halloween's coming up, not in like a God is spooky kind of way, but God is other than his creation. He is beyond it. Yeah, he's and the we creator. Should, we should fear that because it is a great mystery to us. I think we are, we're used to a world where we have all the answers in life, and if we don't have the answer, we just go on our phone. Well, we can't figure out everything about God, and so there is a, <laughs> there is a fear there. And then I think revering is to submit ourselves to His power and to know that um, God's the the arc of God's story is bigger than the arc of my life, and He draws me into, yep, into that through Jesus and through His love that comes down and becomes accessible to me because of and you and everybody <laughs> right another way to think of holiness is to be set apart mm-hmm. and sacred mm-hmm. those two things so set apart not for everyday use mm-hmm. so god sets apart certain things he makes holy places holy things mm-hmm. and holy people mm-hmm. priests mm-hmm. ark of the covenant right holy thing mm-hmm. the temple location eventually mm-hmm. that's a holy place mm-hmm. right and these places were meant to be set apart different from the world you know, not to be, if you had a plate that held a, a, an animal sacrifice, you didn't use it for your daily dishes. Right. Because it was set apart right. for for God. And it was sacred, meaning it had to do with the divine. It had to do with our relationship with God. And so I think about what does holiness mean for us today? There's not many things that we we see perhaps in, in certain re- denominations and certain reflections of Christianity. I think they have a sense of the holy you know, that here's the altar and here's, mm-hmm. you know, the communion chalice and, and the patent and all these churchy words that we have for these mm-hmm. holy objects and you revere them. Yep. 
but then in a low church culture, it's kind of just that stuff is done away with, or it's seen as just tradition. And, and there's maybe less of a sense of the holy. And so I, I would ask this question for you when it comes to God. What's holy about God and God's work and God's people for you, right? We're called a royal priesthood mm-hmm. and a holy nation. Mm-hmm. And so God is setting apart you for a sacred purpose. And so how do we, in light of a holy God, live holy lives mm-hmm. and have some respect and reverence for holy places for these divine encounters with God to not just, not for casual use and abuse? Hmm. That is a good question. Mm-hmm. I would say one example of that's in our language. I mean, you just go back to the Ten Commandments. One of the commandments is not taking the name of the Lord thy, thy God in vain. Yep. And so one of the ways that we keep God holiest, we say, okay, our words matter. Yep. The, the first word, thing that came to my mind when you started talking about that was this idea of Sabbath, of remember yeah. the Sabbath to keep it holy. It is a day that is set apart from the other days so that it can for be a divine purpose. for a divine purpose. It's not to just go play. No, it's not like, okay, now I finally get my nap. I think we confuse that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, Sabbath just means self-care? No, it's so much more. It's rest that. in God. Rest in God. So that the other days that are also set apart and holy in their own ways are sourced out of a spirit of Sabbath, right? A right. Sabbath, a, a big Sabbath bleeds into the rest of the week. And if we invite God into anything, God takes the ordinary and makes it holy. Yeah. So I th- there's a devotion book called Everyday Holy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, and it's really about this in, when invitation to God to bless, to redeem, to consecrate, whatever the word you want, to sanctify mm-hmm. everyday events and experience and opportunities and make them holy. Not just look like the world, but to be different, to be set apart. Mm-hmm. F- so that other people might see and it points to a God who is holy and that is love. I also think back to what uh, we read in Genesis, and we covered this in an earlier episode of our podcast, talking about the image of God, and that we we get to reflect that holiness into the world. And I just I heard I just heard you say that, and I just heard you preach about that. In when we talk about generosity, mm-hmm. we get to reflect jo- God's holy generosity into this world through our own generosity. Right. He calls us to be generous, not because he needs our money. It's all his anyways. Not because he wants to punish us or force us to be disciplined. But so that we are different. So so the world may see that what matters first and foremost to us is God, right? I'm the Lord your God. You shall have another God before me. Mm-hmm. And then that is also about our hearts, about our right relationship. So God... God is trying to restore us, redeem us, that which has been corrupted by sin in the flesh and the world. He is seeking in the sanctifying love and power of the Holy Spirit, the grace that we're given in Jesus Christ to make us holy, to set us apart for a sacred purpose in this world. So here's the application if you're at home listening to this. Do you have an understanding that you, in Jesus Christ, have been set apart 
for a divine purpose, that, that God dwells in you through faith and there is a purpose to your life, right? There's a divine meaning to your life that is different than this world, that is, that is divine, that is sacred, uh, that is designed to point people to the one, the only one. And don't you think that often, you know, when we think about the word purpose, where my mind goes is to some big thing that, that I should try to achieve or do. But I think so often our holy purpose is found in the ordinary mm-hmm. when it's when you have children. It's being a godly parent to those children so that they can know the presence of God in their lives. When, you know, when you're at whatever job that you have, you are there to be a beacon of hope and light in a world that gets dark really fast. And and oftentimes our purpose isn't glamorous, it's ordinary, and that can be a holy thing. Right. The presence of God makes things holy, not the things in and of themselves. Right. Purpose biblically or, or you know, biblical purpose is usefulness in a grace direction. Hmm. Usefulness in a grace direction. I like that. I've never heard that before. I just made it up. Oh, really? No, I have no idea. <laughs> it's in my head. Well, I'm going to write it down. And uh, Okay, let's talk more about David. So David, David was kind of like this jack of all trades. He was a warrior. He was a musician. He was a king. He was a poet. He, oh, man. He did Brought everything. some beautiful poetry. If you heard Psalm 23, <laughs> Psalm 51, most of the Psalms. Yeah. I mean, wow. Yeah, he's... But we talked earlier... He had his faults. Oh, yeah. So what were David's faults? Well, he was considered a man after God's own heart. Mm -hmm. And and we really, a lot of people reflect and think about what does that mean? And I think ultimately it it means that, you know, David's heart, especially when he was called to be king or anointed to be king, was one that desired to serve God and, and serve God's people with everything in it. Yet he's still a man. He's mm-hmm. still a human being. Mm-hmm. And so he becomes king. And with king comes king, comes conquests and victories and opportunity to influence. But also comes power. Mm-hmm. And power and our sin often they form well. a toxic combination. And we see this in David's life and, and to the point where now he, he gets to this point where he's not even going on the front lines of battle. He's sending his soldiers there. And he's back at home on top of the castle. And he, you know, looking at what he can see, and he sees this woman named Bathsheba. And David desires her. And so he sends for Bathsheba and sleeps with her, right? I mean, who's going to say no to the king? Mm-hmm. And, but Bathsheba's married. And to top off the sin of adultery, when... Bathsheba's husband comes back. David wants to cover it up. So he, he tells the husband, well, go spend time with your wife rather than taking this purification time where mm-hmm. he wouldn't sleep with his wife. But the guy's so loyal to David, he doesn't even do that. Because his troops are out in battle, His right? troops he are says, in battle. I'm, I'm not, not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Doesn't he sleep on the front steps, basically? Yeah, and... right, to cover up the pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and so David schemes this scheme to send him into the fiercest part of the battle, the front lines, to die. And so David plots this guy's death, this murder, right? 
and, and he falls far from God. And we not only see this in, in David's uh, affair, uh, adultery, and this plot for murder, but we also see it later on uh, with David's kids. He's not a great dad sometimes. There's some, some real messy, dysfunctional stuff that happens between his children. And David's response is less than ideal. But I think what, what maybe returns David into being after God's own heart is after David is confronted with his affair and, and this behavior by the prophet Nathan, who was his friend, he repents. Mm-hmm. He writes Psalm 51, mm-hmm. which uh, if you haven't read, I mean, uh, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So we are just and right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let, my, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So even in David's depth of brokenness, right, he turns to God. In this psalm, wow, I mean, talk about a powerful poem or, or, or words of, of confession and truth for us. This is, this is us, right? Yeah, David becomes this model for us to look at our own lives and to say, yep, I have fallen short and I'm not going to fix it on my own. can't cover it up. I can't weasel my way out of it. I need to come and stand before the holy God and confess. God is holy and we're not. Yeah. How does David, how does the story of David point us to the story of Jesus and the gospel promise? Sure. Well, I think one of those is to look like it's Psalm 23. The shepherd psalm, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus becomes the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd, right, that that lays down his life for the sheep. And so the words of David are prophetically fulfilled. Or Psalm 51, how, how are our sins blotted out? How are we washed whiter than snow? What does God's mercy look like? What does God's mercy look like? I mean, David, this is kind of... An interesting one for the for the Jewish people. They had an understanding. There was a system of animal sacrifices or offerings or grain offerings and rituals that were done to blot out the sin. David isn't saying, "Hey, you know, I'll perform all these rituals right to be made right with you." He's saying, "Like, no, Lord, against you and you alone have I sinned." That's not meaning that he had no wrongdoing with Bathsheba or Nathan or his nation. Mm-hmm that he led, but he understood that his first affront was against this holy God and that there was a direct calling or pleading to this God for forgiveness. How this points to Jesus is that we now know because God is love that we have that direct word of life, act of forgiveness in the cross and the empty tomb. 
that we can have this right relationship with God. We can we can plead to God for forgiveness of our sins, and He forgives us. Right? He He watches us whiter than the snow. He cleanses our soul. He puts in us a pure heart and renews a right spirit within us. And so these words literally become true. Uh, David David's an earthly shepherd with flaws. Jesus is the true good shepherd. It's it's interesting to think. So if you were to go back to First Samuel, and you talked about this, it's First Samuel eight is where the people of Israel ask for a king, and and God basically says, "Do you know what a a king will do? A king will rule over your sons. He'll take your food. He'll take your he'll take your children. He'll take your best cattle. He'll, he'll take all of these things from you. You don't want a king." And they said, "Well, we want a king." And yeah, uh, because they think a king will give them what they need and will make them who they are supposed to be. Right. Saul, the first king, fails in that. David fails in that. And all the kings that follow Solomon fail in that. fails in that, yeah. Jesus, as a king of the kingdom of heaven, does the thing that they were hoping for and expecting, gives them what they need, the mercy and grace of God, and makes them, us, who we are supposed to be. Yeah, Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the high priest. He's the right judge. He is the true king. He is Lord of lords, kings, kings of kings. You and I can't be. No. Right? I mean, I'd like to think if I was king. <laughs> if you were king for a day, what oh, would you I'd do? Be, well, first thing, I have no idea. Uh, I haven't thought of it. That's a good question. That's a fun question. Yeah. But uh, uh, if I was king, right, this, oh, it would be yeah. such a just and merciful land. Uh-huh. And righteousness would be doled out perfectly after I got everything that I ever wanted, mm-hmm. right? Apps, power corrupts, I'm sure, right? That's the, that's the same. But the same can happen in religious things too. We, in our tradition, we understand as pastors, we're set apart, but we're not above. Mm-hmm. That's very important. There's no hierarchy. If, whenever you find a religious structure where there's a sense that, you know, oh, I'm the... I'm the religious authority that you must listen to, right? You have to go through me to get to God. Recipe for corruption. Hmm. Because it's a spiritual power and there will be spiritual abuses of the power. I'm not saying that there haven't been people throughout history that have exercised powerfully, exercised power wisely and with goodness in their heart. I think David had goodness in heart. Mm -hmm. It's just that the part of it is just a recognition of our human nature that man... The more power you have, the more wealth you have, more influence you have, the more temptations you're going to face. And without God, you can't do it. Yeah. So David's story is another chapter in this journey to the cross, this journey to the empty tomb. Mm -hmm. It's a a link in that chain of the story. And we're going to continue to look at that story again next week. So I invite you to join us again. I think all of us should think about that, though, for a minute. Uh, Just as you're driving or washing dishes or doing whatever you're doing, what would you do if you were king for a day? Dwell on that and then tell someone. Uh, but in the meantime, I uh, invite you to, to like, to share, uh, to subscribe to this podcast. If you have questions or you're wondering things about Hope Lutheran Church, you can visit us at fargohope.org. Uh, we'd love to connect with you there. Uh, but in the meantime, invite you to stay deeply rooted.